You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, New York Giants fans, and welcome to a Christmas Eve edition of your Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today, we're going to preview the Giants Sunday game against the Philadelphia Eagles, and we will also talk to Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman about the uh, the current state of your 4 and 10 Giants where they go from here how they might look to uh, to get out of this decade long morass of largely bad football bad decision making that they have been in since winning the uh, 2011 Super Bowl we'll get to that in a few minutes but uh, first let's talk about Sunday's game a little bit if you read the uh, the Big Blue View staff predictions that, that we posted on uh, on our website on Thursday, you know that, that none of the Big Blue View contributors, including yours truly, are picking the Giants to win. I wouldn't have expected anyone to do that. I honestly don't see why anyone would pick the Giants to win this weekend. The Giants do have one advantage going into uh, Sunday's game in that the Eagles did play on Tuesday night while the Giants played on Sunday. So the Eagles will be coming off of a short week, while the Giants, of course, have a full week of preparation for Sunday's game. In all honesty, though, I do not believe that that is going to make any difference whatsoever. I think that the Eagles are the team with all of the motivation heading into Sunday, all of the reasons to play hard. And I don't see Philly you know, stumbling in this spot. The, the Eagles are currently tied for the final playoff spot in the NFC. They will be at home where they'll have their fan base to, to lift them up if they're a little tired, a little sluggish coming off the short week. And they also have the Week 12 loss to the Giants fresh in their minds and a chance to avenge that and continue a playoff run. And I just don't see this 4-10 and Giants team, three straight losses, obviously not going to the playoffs, probably going to be using Jake Fromm at quarterback starting his first NFL game. I just don't see this Giants team going into a hostile environment in Philly under the circumstances that I've talked about and coming out with a victory. So so I think that you're going to see the Giants fall to uh, to 4 and 11 here on Sunday afternoon as do the rest of your big blue view contributors. 
we'll see what happens, but but I have my doubts that uh that the Giants will uh will come out of Philly with a win on Sunday as the uh, as the season winds down for New York. Just a couple of other of other notes as we talked about Jake Fromm to me is the likely starter. Joe Judge has been uh unwilling to to announce that to make that decision but I don't really see that there is any other decision to make other than to start from. There's just no reason for uh, for Mike Glennon to start. So we'll, we'll see what decision the Giants ultimately make. But I would expect uh, I would expect Fromm to be your quarterback on Sunday. All right, Giants fans, let's uh, let's get to the interview that I did with Dan Hatman, director of the Scouting Academy as we talk about the state of the Giants and where they go from here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Giants fans, I am joined now by Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman, a good friend of the show, as we uh, as we talk a little bit about the, the state of the New York Giants and the, the future of the Giants front office. Dan, how you doing? How you been? Doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Hey, always enjoy, always enjoy talking to you. And, and, and one of the reasons that, that I had you on is we know that that the Giants' four and ten fifth straight losing season, perhaps the worst five year stretch in franchise history. Believe it or not, if you remember the wilderness years, uh, but this is this is the first double digit loss stretch of this length in in franchise history. So you can easily make an argument that it's the worst stretch in franchise history. We know that the Giants are headed for change of of some sort. So, uh, so that, so that's what, uh, what I wanted to bring you on to talk about. And I mean, would you, let's just start with this. Do you agree as much as I know that, that, you know, Dave Gettleman, you know, you probably have some, some feelings about Dave just as a man and as a person, but do you agree that, that his time as, as Giants GM has pretty much run its course? They're going to need a scapegoat, right? Someone, Someone's head's got to be in the chopping block because that's the way the NFL's built the business. Uh, when the fans are unhappy, you have to sell hope. And in order to sell hope, you have to show some sort of change at a high enough level when you have these kind of seasons, particularly over and over again. So if you look at the, the key pieces to any build, ownership's not changing. You have the GM, the head coach, the quarterback. You know, there's, there's five, let me rephrase it. There's five pieces to any Super Bowl build. All right. You have an owner, GM, head coach, quarterback, and luck. All right. Those are the five pieces to any, any championship team build. And you got to try to get in control as many of them as possible. Well, clearly ownership's not going to change. You get the feeling coming out of there. They don't want to change the head coach or the quarterback. Luck is its own mistress. So there's only one piece they can put on the chopping block. 
and that's Dave. And so, yes, I would expect um, some sort of retirement type thing, maybe Zemetrius counselor to the ownership group uh, or something like that, where he gets to kind of go out on his own terms, quote unquote. Uh, yes, I think that's probably realistic. Yeah, and, and I agree with you about the uh, the idea that they're they're not going to fire Dave. Dave's been a good employee for the Giants for too long. They're they're too loyal to him. They won't they won't outright fire him. They will they will allow him to leave. You know, with, with some dignity. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that you do that I love is the the piece that you do each year on you know general manager candidates and all the tracking of of front office folks that you do and you know you you've kind of studied the whole front office structure more than just about anybody that I know um so i think what we need to talk about is this whole idea of marrying a head coach and a gm and, and whether the giants have have done too much sort of arranged marriages or piecemealing things together here. I know you're a proponent of head coach and GM coming in together. Um, just tell us, tell us why. If you don't do it at the same time, the person that's there is in a superior to per- position of the person that's coming in, right? Because they survive the battle, right? Cause when you, when you get to the point where you need to fire somebody, it didn't go well, right? You're not firing somebody because we went, you know, we had a great season. That Marty Schottenheimer firing at what 13 and three or whatever. Those are very rare circumstances. So usually you're at a low point. Someone's got to go. Well, if you decide that it's all on one of the two, whether it be the head coach or the gym, if, if ownership aligns all the chips and says, well, this one person failed, but the other person didn't fail as bad then internally there's clearly a power struggle. You can't arrive at that unless there's arguments being made that this part of the building can be successful. It was this other part of the building that held them back. Well, in order for that narrative to land on ownership, someone's got to be fighting in that direction, right? There, there, There's some sort of dialogue happening where you are pitting the building against each other to decide who's going to survive and who's going to leave. So when that happens, whoever stays. So in this case, let's go with the hypothetical that Dave is gone and Joe stays. He survived the battle, right? The ownership has decided you can win. The other guy was holding you back from winning. So they're putting their chips behind that person. So whoever accepts the general manager position afterwards isn't really a clear conduit to ownership, isn't really in charge. They are subservient to this head coach, at least in the short period of time. If the new GM wants to be in the power position, they need to work on getting that head coach out so that they can bring their own in. You're just setting up infighting. Unless the new GM is going to come in in a Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, where they were, they were already a unit in Carolina. They wanted to be together. And then Sean got Brandon to Buffalo to do that. So unless Joe has his guy and the GM candidate is Joe's guy and they were talking for years about what we would build together and you're going to get the band back together, so to speak, unless you strike gold with that, you're looking at an arranged marriage, look at a Joe Douglas, Adam Gaze, right? So when Adam was there, he wins the power struggle. 
he survives versus McCagnan, and that he's on the hiring committee. Adam Gaze is on the hiring committee and picks Joe Douglas, who he worked with in Chicago for like nine months. Joe comes in, they spend that, you know, eight months together where it doesn't work, and Joe's already working on getting his coach in. So now Joe's got to get this coaching staff out so he can get his coaching staff in. Well, of course that year doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work. So there are so few examples of that Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott dynamic. There's so few examples that I'm hard-pressed to put great odds on the chances of success to keep Joe and marry him with a GM of the ownership's choosing and expect it to bear out successfully in the years to come. Unless, of course, it's a, a GM of Joe's choosing. And again, Adam Gaze picked Joe Douglas. Right. right. He said Joe's a GM I can work with, and it didn't take Joe a year to turn around and be like, but yeah, but you're a coach I can't work with. Let me go get Robert Sala and move on from here. So even if Joe picks a GM, unless this GM would have picked Joe, you know, again, unless they've been sitting together for the last six, eight years talking to each other saying, man, if the two of us could just get together, we could. I mean, there are guys doing that around the league. Don't get me wrong. There are head coaching candidates and GM candidates discussing what they would like to do if they could ever hook up at some point, if that timing could strike. So unless this GM candidate really wants Joe Judge, and, and again, I, I'll pick a name so there's like Ed Dodds, the name that comes up a ton on every list you ever see, right? Because Indy's successful. And before that, he was with Seattle and Seattle was successful. The narrative is Ed Dodds, therefore, must be successful. All right. So let's say you go out, you convince Ed Dodds to come be the GM. Has Ed Dodds been dreaming for the last six, seven years that his one and only chance to be a GM, his one and only chance, has he been dreaming that Joe Judge was his coach? Because if he hasn't, He's going to fire Joe Judge in a year, and he's going to pick his coach. And then what, are we, what have we done here? We've just continued the, the cycle of, of quote-unquote arranged marriages. So um, it's The one counterpoint I'll say to the timing is I had a guy in the league hit me with the, this theory here recently, and it kind of hit me sideways because I hadn't spent a whole lot of time considering it. And the argument and I'll stick with this Adam Gaze, Joe Douglas, because it's the one we brought up here. The argument was that first year for Joe is all about getting his systems in place, right? He's just trying to figure out who in the building can I keep? Who in the building do I need to replace? Can I get my language and my grading skill and my philosophy installed? And so Joe got to spend that year doing that. Then you move on from the coach. And now when you bring in your coach, your systems are in place maybe it works out better. That was the hypothetical proposed to me. Not that we have a lot of examples of this, but is a lame duck coaching year actually a benefit to a GM candidate? Because they don't have to worry about that first year. That's not my coach. I can work on the things I need to work on. And then I can work on my coaching search later on once I get things installed, as opposed to getting hired as a GM and having days, if not maybe just a couple of weeks to conduct a search. Like if you go out and you said, we're going to clean house and we're going to go get a GM, you want all that done by the combine. So now you got to try to rush to a GM and the GM who just barely got himself placed. Now has to turn around and try to conduct a head coaching search while candidates are leaving the market. And so that timing, that five weeks becomes so crazy 
that this person's argument was for the GMs coming into a lame duck may not be the worst thing because then you can actually conduct a head coaching search with a year's prep as opposed to two weeks prep. I, I suppose that's understandable. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it, it, it still feels like in some ways, if, if it's inevitable that the, that the head coach is going to go after a year, it still feels like a wasted year in a lot of ways. But I want to ask you about this. John Mara has always said over the last two years, he said that he really likes the interaction between Dave and Joe, but obviously it's not producing results on the field. Joe twice in the past week made comments that he has not made in the two years that in the two seasons he's been Giants head coach. Twice this week he referenced, I coach the players. I don't, you know, I don't do the contracts. I don't do, you know, those kinds of things. He, and that to me is the first time that I remember him saying, anything about split responsibilities and, and and hinting that he's not responsible for the roster that set off alarm bells in my head more or less and i'm just curious you know you may not have seen those comments but just in general does that does that tell you something when a head coach starts to speak that way or on the flip side if a gm starts to speak that way to me everything comes back to only at the end of the day, they're the, they're the stability, right? Or at least they're supposed to be the stability. For this. So if ownership is leaving it ambiguous to the key decision makers on what they're being measured against and when timelines are going to hit or what have you, human nature, we are all human. Human nature is to save ourselves. So I don't begrudge those who choose to save themselves. Obviously, we all aspire to or at least seem to respect those that can put others before themselves, but it's a rare thing. Most people will take care of theirs first, and if that's stable, then they'll address things around them. So if the environment is so you know ambiguous as to what's coming next, that Joe doesn't know if he's going to make it or how he's being measured or what have you, then it's only natural to distance yourself from the other side so that you can create the yeah, but he should go, but I shouldn't go, and here's why I shouldn't go type mechanism. It's why, again, as we talked about from the beginning, I believe in bringing in two together. And again, if I'm advising ownership, if I was in that position, I'd look at the two and say, you are tied at the hip. If you ever make me pick one or the other, you both go. You come in together, you leave together. Everything you do is joint decision making. If that's uncomfortable to you, don't sign on the dotted line. I never want this Jets and Sharks. I live some dynamics in the league that were really, it just never became about football. It was just politics. It was just, it was just rats scurrying to save themselves on whatever piece of wood they could float away on when the floodwaters came. Like, why would you create those environments? So if this is the first time that you can recall Joe saying those kind of things, my question would be, is this the first time he's felt like He's going down with the ship or what, you know, it, it feels fluid to him enough that he feels like he needs to position himself towards some sort of dry land in order to keep a roof over his head, put food in his family's mouth and try to do the job that he came there to do, which is, again, why I look at it and say, like, you need to be clear with your people internally about timelines and measurement or what have you 
so that we can be unified. The problem is, is that when you have 10 losses, obviously, when you go to press conferences, you're going to get questioned. Why are we here? Why aren't we moving towards the other side of things? And when you just have to take those rounds, blow after blow after blow, you just, it, the defenses wear down. It just gets to be every man for himself, right? Because winning cures all. It's amazing what winning will do, right? You win, you don't get questioned on how you won. You don't, no one goes to the press conference and says, how did you win? It's just congratulations for it, right? But if you lose, we always need to point a finger at somebody and say it's their fault, right? That player missed a kick or this guy dropped the ball or you screwed up the timeout situation. Like we love the blame game afterwards, but every week you're talking about 150 people putting in an entire work week for a three and a half hour game. Like there are so many moving parts. There are so many hands that touch the product from the people that wrap the ankles to the people that make sure the shoulder pads are there to the people that call the plays and the players themselves that have to be rested and hydrated in order to do the job. There are so many people involved. The blame game quickly to me falls apart because you have to set it up where 150 people's work product, usually 60, 80, 100 plus hours a week from all of those people, you have to direct all those man hours to the single outcome. You have to get everybody moving in the same direction. And so if leadership can't achieve that, if it's fractioned, if people are running around in different directions, if everyone's trying to save themselves, that's a leadership problem. We never got our people aligned in one direction, believing one thing, moving as a unit. Because when you listen to teams, even those that stink, right? Detroit's not having a great year. Obviously, it's earlier in the regime, but they're not having a great year. But there's a message. There's a vision. Like everybody's, we're talking about the same things. Whereas when we get to these points for a team like the Giants, it does seem more fractured throughout. So, so I did some study of head coaching tenures. And and what I found was that most long-term successful head coaches are guys, if they come in and they have a poor first year, there is probably 85, 90% of the time, there is a clear progression on the field in the second year. It may not be a playoff progression, but it might be from two wins to seven win. It's it's rare in, in the study that I've done that a guy that has put a product on the field like the Giants have the last two years turns things around in a third year and then goes on to have a a long-term successful coaching career, you know, in that particular place. So with with that sort of preamble and, and knowing your preference for you know, marrying guys at the hip. You're John Mary, you're Steve Tisch. Do you make an argument at this point? Have you seen enough from your perspective that you think, you know, Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman could be successful? Or or are you at the point where you would sweep this thing out and start over again? I'm going to sweep it out and start over again. Um, I don't agree with everything that Jed York's done in his tenure in San Francisco. Uh, but he had a situation where Trent Balky and Harbaugh fought, right? And that, that marriage fractured. Balky won, Harbaugh's out, and then Balky goes and he get hires Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly comes in, first year doesn't go well, and they're already feeling the seeds of doubt and, and who's going to stay and who's going to go and have you. And 
you know, this is the, you know, the, the game of telephone comes through, but the story as it was relayed to me is Jed went to Chip and said, I know it's not fair. And I know I haven't given you time to prove whether you can or can't do it, but I'm not playing this game of picking and choosing one or the other forever. I'm going out and I'm picking a unit. And so we fired Chip Kelly. They went out and they got Lynch and Shanahan as a unit on six-year deals, told them, told them they're riding and dying together. And that team was back towards the Super Bowl in just a matter of years. Now, injuries and whatever else, I'm not saying that they're the, the, the pinnacle of, of play, but Jed York stopped the every two years. Someone's got to go resetting. Of course you can't judge anybody when every two years you're changing things. It's been the model of the Jets for a long, long time. No, you know, no one ever knows who does what or how it went or what it could have been because before you get there, some major piece got moved and then new systems have to come in and new people have to come in. You're onboarding all the time. I don't see the value in changing things every two years and then hoping you can measure what, who was successful and what was successful. As opposed to if we're going to make a move, we clear the decks, we put together a pair of people that desperately want to work together to build a championship team and then let them go and support them. Um, I don't get the sense that's what's going to happen here. But if, you know, Mara and Tish called me and said, what would you say? I'd say you look Joe Judge in the eye and say, I don't know if it's fair. I don't know if we're necessarily nailing, you know, who you are and what you're capable of, but we're going to bring in a pair of people that want to work together to build this. We're going to give them no prerequisites. We're not going to tell them they have to keep Daniel Jones. We're not going to tell them they have to keep Joe Judge. We're not going to tell them to do anything. We're going to hire two people that we think can run a ship. And we're going to let them go run the ship. Interesting. Interesting. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree with that if that's what the Giants did. Like you, though, I don't think it's what they're going to end up doing. I think they desperately want to be right about Joe Judge. And I think that they're probably going to double down on him and, and, and hire someone, you know, with a similar background, uh, to be the GM. But we'll have to see the, the larger question, Dan. And I know that, you know, that you, you have, you know, some experience with the Giants and, and, but you know it was it was a a good while ago now but the the larger question is why has it been so bad for for so long I mean, we hear people say well the giants are stuck in their in their in the way that they used to do things they turn inside too often um they don't know how to evaluate their own players. They, you know, they overvalue, you know, their, their own guys. I think there was an example of the Giants asking for a first round pick for Evan Ingram at the trade deadline this year, which was kind of ridiculous because I think he might have, he might have generated a day three pick at, at, at most. But, but the, the question is, you know, for, from the outside kind of looking in, why do you think that the Giants more or less haven't been able to get out of their own way for a decade now? I think when you, the thing that gets hard is that when you, when you mentioned this before, I, I've studied GM and, and philosophy and hiring and the process for a long, long time. And that naturally leads to this point of trying to establish like what things work for a GM. What do they need to do? What do they need to have? How do they need to operate? How do they need to structure? And the thing that came up in all of that research and study is that none of these people, whether it be a GM or a head coach, none of these people are walking into a vacuum. This is not an expansion franchise where every office needs to be filled. 
they're walking into a place where they maybe get to change 10, 15 people a year. But that leaves 100 plus people around them that are not theirs. There's a learning curve both directions, right? So the established staff have to learn new things and the new people have to learn the established staff. And it happens everywhere all the time. And I'm not advocating for a house clean of 150 people every regime change. Don't get me wrong. But I think the thing that gets hard with a team as loyal as the Giants, which should be fantastic in a support mechanism. Man, having loyal ownership that believes in you and wants you to succeed is one of those things you aspire to in an owner. I still believe there will be people that will really want to work for the Giants because they know when I get there, if, I, if they give, if they believe in me, they're going to believe in me, right? They're going to give me every opportunity to prove myself. I do think that's a strong suit. But when if you're going to go out to a search and you're going to set these prerequisites in the search of, yes, you can come in, but you have to keep this person. You have to keep this person. You can't change this. You can't change that which is the sense I get from some of their decision-making, right? Even right now, we're talking about it's highly likely that they're looking for some sort of new personnel lead, right, the GM chair, but that person is going to be told you're going to give this quarterback and this head coach at least another year before you're allowed to do anything. So if you're giving those mandates to those decision-makers, they're operating under constraint from the beginning. And then you're trying to build. It's like when Dave came in, they were trying to still build around Eli, right? It's, you know, you're going to come in, but we're going to make Eli go out with one more ring was the vision. So now you're operating under constraint. You're making all those decisions under the constraint of, I have to get Eli surrounded with enough pieces to go win one more time in the next two seasons, period. And then when that fails, now I have to recycle things and reset to, okay, now I'm not trying to build around Eli. Now I got to go find the next guy and build things that you need to take a quarterback who's not ready to the point of being ready and build that way. So again, if you come into this situation, all right, most likely you're going to keep the quarterback. Most likely you got to keep the head coach. Then your early build, your first year or two in that chair as the new GM is going to be giving those people what they say they need in order to be able to then measure whether or not they're actually competent enough to do their jobs. And then if you determine that they're not, all those resources that were directed towards determining whether the current head coach and quarterback are competent may not be useful resources when you go to pivot to the new head coach and quarterback, depending on who they are. And so to me, that's the cycle. Like, I feel like every time they go into this, they're loyal to the point of like, well, I'm not going to change everything. I'm just going to change this one thing. But then the new thing that comes in to this one chair we're going to force them to deal with all these pre-existing conditions, but yet expect this new piece to revolutionize things. Like, hey, come in and be this one piece, change nothing else, but still revolutionize the whole machine. And I'm not sure I'm following the logic on how that's going to increase efficiency. Interesting because I had the same kind of thought about Dave Gettleman coming in to the job in 2018. I kind of thought, and I don't have inside information on this, I, I always thought that Giants GM was a job that Dave desperately wanted. And I always thought that the idea was that John Mara especially wanted, if not another championship for Eli, he wanted to send Eli off with a winning team. And I always thought it was, Dave said, I will take that condition. 
And I always thought that that at least in 2018, which is a an off season he's been hammered for because of his his some of his his decisions in that offseason, I always thought it was about not a long term rebuild. I always thought it was about short term trying to make something with Eli. And because of that, and because of two coaching staffs, there's a lot of failure on Dave's resume with the Giants and a lot of odd looking decisions and mistakes. But I think it's, it's hard to judge because as you said, he wasn't necessarily given a clean slate to work with. Again, I I can't talk about any team is necessarily being like a, a fully clear slate. Cause again, there's, there's so many offices that are already going to be full when you walk in the door, but personnel folks, as they come up, think about the job, right? Your job is to identify and acquire those you think can win. And everybody in that space understands the importance of the head coach and the importance of the quarterback far and above almost everything else in the organization and so if you're going to bring in a new personnel person who, again, gets one shot at doing this, personnel people don't get recycled. I know Dave went from Carolina to the Giants. That's rare, right? You just don't see second chances in this profession to that degree. So I have one shot to do this. It will be my legacy. My one chance is to be my legacy, right? When a GM fails... No one's calling Mike McCagnan for things right now because the tenure didn't look good, right? No matter what his competency was prior to that, that period of time sours the waters, right? And the optics of him for eternity. So this person who knows head coach and quarterback are the critical pieces. The thing my entire legacy in 10 years can be based on, and you're going to tell me who those things are going to be. I suspect they are fundamentally changing the pool of candidates who will be interested in that because people that have options probably are not going to sign up for that. So again, you're either going to have to desperately want to work with Joe judge, which I'm not saying isn't a real thing. Like I'm there's, I, I don't know everybody in personnel in terms of this question, but I would imagine that there are competent personnel people that desperately want to work with Joe judge and more power to them, but you're going to have to want that condition or you're going to have to have little, no options for where else you can do this work to take those conditions for your one chance of doing. So last question for you, Dan, is, is really, you know, we've talked about the quarterback and, and all of that. I, I need to know, you know, where you stand on Daniel Jones. I talk to Mark Schofield all the time. And the last time Mark and I had an in-depth conversation about Daniel Jones, we kind of came to the conclusion there, there's a, there's a feeling out there with a lot of people that we still don't know who Daniel Jones is. In all honesty, I believe, and I think Mark believes that that's not correct. I think that we've never seen Daniel Jones operate under ideal circumstances. That much is true. We've never seen what Daniel Jones can do if he was operating the Kansas City Chiefs offense or if he was operating with Kyle Shanahan calling the plays for him and he was operating, you know, the the San Francisco 49er offense or or if he was operating in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians. But I think that we've seen enough to know pretty much what Daniel Jones is and Mark actually turned it back to a phrase that you use, which is he he said you use the phrase tractors and trailers. In, in talking about about quarterbacks and and we kind of put 
Jones in the in the sort of middle tier, you know, trailer category, you know, guy that that you might be able to win with if you can put the ideal circumstances around him. So I'm I'm just I'm curious, you know, where you stand on Jones at this point. I think I have to preface this by I'm relatively binary with quarterbacks. And what I mean by that is I think there's a place of quarterback purgatory when you're in that eight and eight, nine and seven, like maybe you make the wild card, maybe you don't, depending on a few, you know, yards here, there throughout the season. You're never really going to go to a championship game. You're not really a Super Bowl contender. Um, you're not a bad team. You don't have a bad quarterback, but you're picking in the 15 to 25 range every year, which means you'd have to give up a ton of capital to go up and acquire a premium quarterback in a draft market or something like that. Um, quarterback purgatory is a horrible place to be, in my opinion. So I look at it and say, if you don't have a guy that's a difference maker at the position, right? When you look at the quarterbacks that are making championship games and Super Bowls, they're difference makers at the position by and large, right? We'll have an, you know, an outlier here or there, but by and large, it is difference makers at the position. And I'm clearly going into the draft. The ability for anybody in the industry to consistently predict who's going to be the impact player at that position is a very, very low hit rate. We're not good at it. We're not fundamentally good at picking quarterbacks as an industry, let alone an individual inside of that industry. So I'm going back to the Ron Wolf school of thought of why am I going to have so much ego as to think I can perfectly identify who's competent as opposed to I'm taking shots and I'm going to take a lot of shots. And so. You have Daniel Jones under contract. I have no fundamental issue with keeping him and letting him compete, but I'm going to continue to take shots at quarterback until I get a difference maker, whatever that takes. Because if I get stuck in that middle ground, we'll be there forever. And it doesn't, nothing changes from that standpoint. Like you look at a, a Cincinnati Bengals for years, enough competent players in the roster, right? Between that, Six and ten, ten and six every single year with Andy Dalton. Like again, they weren't a they weren't a good team, but they weren't a horrible team. They competed in games, they'd win some, they'd lose some. But then you get that chance when the injuries happen, you have the awful year, timing works out where they get Joe Burrow, and now it can truly be different, right? Because you have a difference maker at the position. So where are we at on Daniel Jones or me personally? I don't think he's a difference maker. You know, I think that, that as everybody's kind of called out, yeah, if you had a great schemer and yeah, if you had great talent, yeah, if you had a great O line, can he win you ball games? Absolutely. But that's a whole lot of onus that we have to consistently keep an O line healthy, consistently keep the talent healthy, and consistently out scheme the competition because outside of his running ability, he hasn't shown a chance. You know, he doesn't have that game breaking to him on a consistent basis with other things. Yeah, I'm going to keep taking shots. And if he proves me wrong in the building, good. Good for him. Like, go for it. Take the competition to heart. Get out there and compete. But I'm not putting all my chips in his basket and ride or die forever because I don't see the difference maker yet. Take a first-round shot this year with two picks. You take maybe a second-round shot if a guy like uh, like Malik Willis or somebody, and, and I don't know if you've studied quarterbacks yet, you know, guy. You know, one of the the more highly regarded guys is still sitting there in the second round. What do you do if you're uh, if you're making the choice? Yeah, I think that this year the veteran quarterback market with those picks may be more intriguing than the draft market. 
of quarterbacks with those picks. You know, if I can get a team that would take a couple of firsts, you know, I, we have the, the Russell Wilsons, the Aaron Rodgers, the Deshaun Watsons, all of them different situations and different constraints. But those are, to me, more interesting than the quarterback market um, in the draft this particular year. And you can't always assume the quarterback market's going to be great, right? We have the years where it's, uh, you know, an EJ Manuel, you know, Smith and late first, early second are the best quarterbacks available in that particular class. So, you know, just assuming the next year is going to have one hasn't necessarily worked out. The other thing, again, because as you shift from looking at an individual player position and assessing it, you move into team building strategy. Having the two first round picks, if you evaluate this class and you don't think those guys are worth it, to me, don't spend those picks. Don't spend both of those picks on other positions right there. Take one of them and punt it for more picks, right? Turn that one first rounder into two or three first rounders to someone who doesn't think that that quarterback class is great. You know, it was my argument when they had the pick for Saquon Barkley, right? Number two, like that number two pick could have accumulated lots of other resources. Like when the Jets went to three for Darnold, three twos to move three spots, you know, you could have gotten three twos and moved to six from the two hole. And is Saquon there? No, I'm not guaranteeing that at all. But Quentin Nelson went six. That didn't work out too bad for Indy. Like Indy with Quentin Nelson in three twos looks better than Saquon Barkley by itself, right? Right. So to me, those are the kind of decisions. Like if I'm sitting there and I realize, you know, you're never one player away, unless you have really premium players at really premium positions, pass rusher, quarterback, corner, what have you, then... I'm going to take that resource and try to multiply it and then have more, more shots down the road. Like, you know, Philly sitting on three first rounders this year, you know, that's a great position to be in. They could go attack the quarterback market again, veteran otherwise, or again, continue to kick the can down the road and turn one of those, you have three, take one of those first rounders, turn it into two more. And you can continue to have two first rounders for years. If you can have a little bit of foresight to that, imagine having two first rounders for years because you bit the bullet once to get the three, but then continue to turn one of those into multiples rather than saying, I need three of this class. Say to yourself, I always want two of every class. There you go. It's, uh, by the way, Dan, it's, it's 1925 East uh, Giants Drive in East Rutherford. Send John your resume. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Hey, as always, Dan, we always appreciate uh, your your insight. Uh, let folks know where they can find your work um, and uh, what's going on with the Scouting Academy these days. Yeah, well, you can learn more about us at scoutingacademy.com. We run online courses teaching people in evaluation, uh, what area scouts do on the road, college recruiting processes these days. Uh, trying to take people who either want to learn more about the game or want to get actively involved in the profession, what to do and how to be successful. Uh, today, we've had over 50 people earn NFL opportunities, have over 130 in college football. So our alumni have done fantastic work from that standpoint. Uh, if anybody has any questions, they can contact me personally. I'm at director at scoutingacademy.com. All right. Hey, Dan, we appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. All right, Giants fans, have a safe and happy holiday. Emily Iannacone and yours truly will be talking to you on Monday morning after Sunday's Giants-Eagles game. 
As always, please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Thank you, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, Mom. (laughs) No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.